Welcome to Wiley Owned Business, where I interview amazing business leaders who have made the leap from working in the business to working on the business and share those discoveries with you. Every conversation has some incredible nuggets of wisdom. Please sign up for show alerts at jakewiley.com and subscribe for the show on your favorite player. Now let's get into the show. Offline, I've been asked quite a bit what I've learned this first year of podcasting. Now, as we come into the home stretch of season one, I think it's actually worth going back and distilling the common attributes from the guests I've had the great fortune to connect with. The guests have all had varied backgrounds and their journey has been pretty unique, but I find there's a lot in common with their answers. So in each episode, I lead a conversation that's a strategic journey to kind of help shed light on what they did to get where they are. So for this episode, I'm actually going to walk through the questions that were asked and provide some of the commonalities that I gathered along the way. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoy this reflective show. So the first question I always ask is how important to the level of success you currently have would you say is directly related to the impact of others? In every case, my guests were 100% certain that they were completely dependent on others for their success. Now, that's no surprise. That's really the baseline of the podcast. A very common theme was that getting ideas out there way earlier than you'd normally think to. Hash it out, get feedback, see what kind of attention and attraction you get. When you get it out there really early, the idea you end up acting on will be a much better idea than the one you really started with. There's a tendency to try and think that you need to keep your good ideas to yourself until they are ready to share. And it's actually the opposite, with the caveat of working with very specific intellectual property. The other thing that tends to happen is that you will draw in some key people that might make all the difference in the ability of your idea to get off the ground. Eric Lau of Amazon even works off the saying, instead of starting with what, he likes to start with who. Who should he talk to first about any emerging idea, product, service, before it goes too far even in his own mind? Another unique takeaway was to stay lean in terms of bringing others in until you're so crystal clear on what needs to be done that you can hand task off with very little ambiguity. By stretching as far as you can, you can clearly see the holes that then need to be filled. So the second question I always ask is, can you give an example of where when you realize that being able to leverage others was a real key ingredient for your growth? So similar to the responses in the first question, the most common response was socializing ideas more informally really early in the process with as many people as possible. If you're working on several potential ideas, the early socialization of the different possibilities can also help determine which is most likely to be successful and eliminate a lot of wasted time working on ideas that would end up having the least likelihood of success. So this really, really resonated with me because on a personal level, my wife and I were developing some ideas for some baby products. And we took our ideas, a couple of them, to some people that had been through the patent process and knew what would work and what would just be a nightmare. And they actually convinced us to focus on our second option, which we'd only brought up when they asked if we had any other ideas as follow-ons because they weren't really stoked about the idea we brought to the table first. We had planned to spend six months to a year getting our first idea off the ground. We thought it'd be an investment of time and it'd be a learning experience. Thankfully, we were able to focus on the one that was actually marketable, which in all likelihood would have never seen the light of day had we spent that initial six months to a year trying to get the first idea off the ground and just beating our heads against the wall. You know, additionally, there are often other channels or ideas that might not be known or thought available that can come into play when you get out and start talking through your ideas. 
Tyler Abbott, for example, found that distributing her product via retail, which she initially thought was cost prohibitive and off the, off the table, turned out to be how she was able to get traction with her product in the end. So sometimes it takes just getting out and talking to people and having other ideas brought forward that makes all the difference in the world. But the commonality of all of my guests was that they felt that that was the thing that really transferred in their mind their dependence on others and the ability to focus on bringing other people in early. Most podcasts focused on these like wonderful stories of, you know, how I built this and you did it from here to there. My next question is really kind of bringing it full focus and, and making the people that I talk to you human and ask where they got it wrong. So the question that I ask them is, can you give me an example of where you got it wrong and the lessons that you learned from it? So interestingly enough, in almost every case where my guests say they got something wrong, it was dealing with investors. Examples being not really being transparent with investors when it's not all roses and sunshine. There's a tendency to internalize or brush over the things that don't look great because you want everyone else to know that you've got it. Most investors have their own battle scars and do much better with an accurate picture of how things are actually going and not being surprised months down the road. Oftentimes, they may even be able to help or have some experiences that are similar to what you're dealing with and can help reorient you quicker than you trying to figure it out all on your own. I also heard that in the early phases, they didn't paint the full picture, really appreciate the scope of what they were doing, and raise enough capital out of the gates. They also didn't appreciate that not all investors are created equally. Some can completely monopolize your time, taking you away from actually growing the business and just focus on answering crazy questions. So in the early days, you may not know what good looks like, and it would really help to have someone that's trod the path before you help make really good decisions at this stage in the game. So with this next question, I'll let my guest off the hook. Uh, we just got done dragging the skeletons out of the closet and walking down Shame Row. Now I ask them to provide an example of when they got it right and how they knew. And it really turns out that this question had so much diversity in the answers that there really wasn't a whole lot of commonality to it. So I'll share some of the answers that I got that I thought were pretty good. Um, guests focused on finding people that can execute on the vision and are happy and energized to perfect repetitive tasks. Because as the leader, you've got to stay nimble and focusing an entire team on the vision and that repetitiveness and that perfection of that repetitiveness is very difficult and oftentimes gets ignored. So another guest ensured that the product service vision stood out and they stayed true to the vision and they weren't dragged into the mainstream, like meaning cutting cost, skimping on quality because quote, no one would notice, or just no longer having your vision come through in your product because that's how you get lost in the sea of other options. So unfortunately, when you're out there in your business, a lot of people wanna help, but they don't have a better vision than you do for your product or service. They only have ways of creating temporary improvements to your margin, which is typically cost cutting in some manufacturing facilities or labor. And that ultimately erodes your customer base when they're just no longer happy with what you're offering. Uh, one of my favorite observations was keeping your working group small, no bigger than what would be called a two pizza team, meaning that you should never have more than enough people to eat two pizzas at any one point in time in a group working together. So I think a lot of times it seems really inefficient to not have every stakeholder and every meeting 
because then you're having to kind of go back and forth with folks. This rule ensures you got a real close collaboration, some camaraderie in an environment where folks should feel pretty safe voicing those, quote, out there ideas, and you really never know what's going to come of them. So, I mean, in summary on this one, every guest had a story, and I thought they were all great. And I think the the message is, you will know when you hit a home run, and hopefully you can take note of what that secret sauce is for you and repeat it. So for my next question, I'm really trying to understand, is there a self-awareness or a point where you just kind of, it all clicks and you know you've, you're, you're putting the right pieces together, or is it all kind of a retrospective looking back? You're like, oh, that's why that worked. So I ask, do you recall a turning point where you realized that your ability to be the best you was dependent on empowering and supporting others, or was this a gradual process? There was not a single natural in the group. Universally, the guests felt that it was a matter of really putting yourself out there and walking your own authentic journey. You share ideas. You got to be authentic. And when you come across totally invested in 100% yourself, but you're open to feedback and ideas, people are both willing to help. And this is what I thought was really great. They're much more forgiving when things don't go according to plan. So I think that there's something to be said for as you kind of progress in your business and develop personally, coming across as 100% invested and authentic, what that does for you down the road with your own people, with outside investors, with customers, really is invaluable. All right, for the past two questions, we've let the guests toot their own horns and share how great they are. Now we're gonna flip the script again. You see how this goes, it's like life. There's good and there's bad and it kind of ebbs and flows. So I ask, what's been the biggest barrier to getting others aligned with your goals? And this is another response that converged very strongly. At the end of the day, you are looking for people to join your team that are totally plugged in and their head is where it needs to be to meet your goals and the vision of the company. There are some great people that are so capable, but you might catch them at a time where personally they just can't be on board and you've got to flesh that out and really dig in on them as a person. Regardless of what they're capable of on paper and what they've done in the past, if they aren't up to it right now, you got to keep moving. I've interviewed hundreds of people, and I am totally guilty of focusing 100% on what they've done in the past and whether or not their personality seems to be a good fit for the team. And I haven't really scratched around to see where they are personally. I mean, that is such an amazing insight. I also heard that you can tackle your interactions with your team like you're an intern. You just ask a million questions. But what that does is that it lets you get into somebody's head and understand how they are solving problems. Because it makes such a difference when you know how someone is actually stepping through the problems to come to their answers. And then really to help find the right people. When you're out there sharing your story about your business and your goal and your vision, you should always ask if that person knows anybody that might be interested in joining your team. And I thought that was just such a brilliant move. It's like, yeah, you're out there selling, but then you're saying, hey, who can you help? Who might be interested in this? Whose fire might be stoked by that? I just, I really love that point. Every company reaches that point where you've got to bring in some outside talent, contractors, vendors to help you with a big project or something that you frankly just know nothing about. So I asked all my guests, 
where you've had to bring in people or teams for initiatives that aren't your strength. How did you find the best way to do that successfully? The overarching theme for most of the answers was that you need to treat contractors and providers like they're on the team as opposed to, quote, outside vendors. When both sides, inside and outside teammates, are working as one, the collaboration goes way up. I'm sure you know the feeling. Here come the contractors where all their ideas and more work for me. If you can somehow make it feel like it really is just one big team with one goal and take that us versus them mentality out, you're on track for success. We're all also acutely aware of overruns, change orders. When you think about how to stay on track at the outset, you need to break down the overall project and develop key performance indicators that can be easily tracked and managed. And for managing the process along the way, an agile framework for managing teams and projects goes a long way. You can start with daily stand-ups and pull the frequency back as time progresses. If you've never had a chance to operate in an agile framework, it's really worth giving a go. You can look up daily stand-ups and weekly sprints. There are some pretty nifty shareable tools that allow for easy management. It was really encouraging to see that so many are using this type of project management tool. And I think it should be viewed as a key to success. Now this next question surprised me the most. I asked everybody they had a mentor. I assumed that most folks would have a mentor and it was that hidden extra step that we all needed to pursue. But surprisingly, that just wasn't the case. Now, with that said, you know, don't get me wrong, there were no hard quote, no, I do this all by myself answers, but there were very few that had a formal named mentor. Instead, everyone could point to people they had called on when there was a need. And then as the needs changed over time, so did the mentors. Now it makes total sense. You probably would do better with a loose alliance of mentors versus one or two formal named mentors. I just expected to find more formality here. So the lesson that I'm actually taking away is that I can stop looking for this unicorn of a person that is the perfect mentor for me in all aspects of my life. And then when I find them, hope and pray I can convince them to be my mentor because one, they probably don't exist. And two, that's honestly just not the way it's done. I wrap up every show with this question. If you could go back in time and tell your younger self one key piece of advice, when would you go back and what would that advice be? This question is probably my favorite and was specifically posed last, not just because that's the logical place for it. The questions I asked are designed to take my guests on a journey and get them thinking. In most cases, after the recording stopped, I'd get feedback that the conversation made them think and there's some things that they could probably revisit. I've loved every single one of these conversations because of the journey we get to go on together. Anyhow, back to the answer to this question. I'll start with the easy part. Most said they'd go back and tell their newly minted college graduate selves, and only a few were convinced that they had actually heed the advice given. So here is the great advice that was given. This is, there's a couple, handful of answers here. Ask yourself why and how you are doing what you do, and be honest with yourself. If in your heart of hearts, you know it's for vanity, versus trying to achieve the goal that you tell the rest of the world, you're going to make decisions very differently. This isn't a comfortable exercise, but it shouldn't be avoided. Our internal monologues can be really convincing if we don't pressure test them. Don't be closed-minded. Be open to unexpected opportunities, and you will find they are all of a sudden all around you. When you have the mindset that you're open to possibilities, you may stumble into something so much better than you were planning on. Talk to everyone. Talk about your ideas. 
you'll get feedback and be introduced to people that will change your life. Don't play it safe. It's not worth the risk. Volunteer, but make sure you're extremely passionate about the cause. Because what starts off with good intentions can suck the life out of you if you really aren't in it. Make failing as cheap as possible so you can learn quickly and progress faster than anybody else. Start buying real estate when you were young. Learn how to code, even if it's just learning the logic that needs to be applied. The different way of thinking with coding will help you frame your visions and your goals with so much more depth. There are so many great nuggets in each one of these conversations that I hope that if you haven't had a chance yet, you'll go back and listen. But if I had to leave you with one thought from all these conversations, it would be this. Start talking about your visions, your dreams, and your ideas with as many people as you can. You will end up with much better dreams visions and ideas, and possibly an army of people that are really excited to help you. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned. We've got some really exciting announcements about the podcast coming up soon. That concludes this week's show. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or directly on the site. Your comments are truly appreciated, good, bad, or indifferent, and will help make the show better. This is Jake Wiley with Wiley on Business, and we'll talk again in two weeks.